0: Section 26 of Uncollected Short Stories of L. M. Montgomery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uncollected Short Stories of L. M. Montgomery by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Bitterness in the Cup. Part 1. a mild wind was blowing up from the southwest over the ribbon of resinous firs in the valley the low-lying wheat-fields and the long slopes of aftermath where the lush growth of the clover rivalled the luxuriance of june from all it brushed in its unfettered sweep it filched somewhat of odour from the firs the tang of their balsam from the field-borders the warm breath of smoke-blue asters in sund grasses and from the berry orchard the aroma of ripening fruit and the pungency of the mint that grew thickly around the roots of the old cherry trees all these it garnered to itself and poured as if from an unseen flagon of delight around the tiny old woman who sat among the grasses where the lane curved down the slope by the beech grove she drunk in the autumnal draught as she knitted and basked in the sunshine that mellowed on the slope around her, it pleased her to sit there in the day's maturity, under a sky that was curdled over with films of white cloud, and knit placidly while she watched the wind lifting the ferns in the shadows of the birches and combing the long grasses on the slope. She seldom looked at her knitting, her tiny hands worked ceaselessly, but her large and unsunken blue eyes kept on the landscape a watch that missed little from the stir and flicker of the sapling leaves at her side to the cloud shadows broadening and vanishing on the far away level fields to the south or the occasional wayfarers along the Rutherglen main road that ran straight as a die to the west until it dipped suddenly into the curve of the fir valley say for the little old woman with the eager eyes not a living creature could be seen near or far. From the Berry's homestead that had topped the birch hill for three generations, to the opal-tinted horizons of the south and west, and the gleam of the ocean north and east, the whole world seemed to have fallen for the time being into a pleasant, untroubled dream. To Mrs. Berry, or Aunt Nan, as everybody in Rutherglen related or unrelated affectionately called her the afternoon was as a cup of delight held to her lips she drank it in unsatedly thinking aloud meanwhile as was her habit isn't it good to be alive i want to live as long as there's afternoons like this sakes alive what smells seems to me the very air is dripping with them there's the mint and the dead fir haven't I always loved the didfa? It minds me of when I was a girl and the first Mark and I used to go walking in the lane back of home where the firs grew so thick. That was forty years ago. I must be getting an old woman. How still them firs in the hollow look, as if they were talking to the sky. And what a blue there is over the hills. Strange how it always fades before you get to it. "'the way with most things, I expect. "'I feel as if I was drinking the sunshine in "'and storing it up in my heart "'to last me through the winter. "'I'm so happy. "'It doesn't seem to me that I'd have a thing changed if I could. "'I've had sorrow enough in my life, "'but it's put behind now "'and lived over like those furrows the second mark ploughed in the lane last spring. "'They looked ugly for a time.' But now they're all picked out with asters and golden rod. It's a dear way, nature has, and I just love living. She dropped her knitting for a minute and softly leaned her withered pink cheek against the creamy satin of the white birch bowl behind her. As she watched the Rutherglen Road, a girl came out from the purple shadow of the firs that overhung it. Aunt Nan recognized her with a smile of delight. That's Louis Wilbur. I don't know as there's another soul in the world I'd want to see just now, but I do want to see her. She fits into an afternoon like this, instead of spoiling it, as most folks would do. I hope she's coming here. If she passes our gate, I believe I'll just run down and lay violent hands on her aunt nan was spared of this exertion for when louis wilbur came to the white gate at the end of the berry lane she turned in under the big willows she walked with the elastic step of healthy youth and there was a faint yet rich bloom on her face born of her windy walk up from the valley although she was not beautiful in any strictly defined sense of the word She possessed a certain charm and distinction of appearance that always left beholders with a pleasurable sense of satisfaction in that softly rounded girlhood of hers with all its strongly felt potentialities. Those who knew Louis Wilbur best felt, without perhaps realising it, that her greatest charm was the aura of possibility surrounding her the power of future development that was in her. She was one to whom maturity would bring her best, and you felt instinctively that such maturity could be nothing less than beautiful when the crescent of her rich nature should have rounded out into completeness. Whatever life might bring to this girl, and it must bring much, if not of action yet of feeling and heart growth, it could not crush her. Its gifts, whether of sorrow or joy, could only tend still further to ripen and enrich the woman's soul that looked wistfully, yet unshrinkingly, out of her level-gazing eyes. For the rest, she was simply the happy, wholesome girl she seemed, fully dowered with youth's soft curves and virginal bloom, with a dimple or two lurking about her mouth, and a saving glint of humour in her frank smile. As she came up the grassy slope aunt nan held out her hand and louis took it in her smooth firmly moulded one looking down at the little woman affectionately i thought you'd come said aunt nan you belong to the afternoon so it brought you things that belong together always come together what a lot of trouble that would save some folks if only they believed it i was afraid you were going on to the shore And if you had passed our gate, you'd have seen a sight now. Nothing less than old Aunt Nan careening down the lane at full speed to catch you. Truth is, Louis, I was dying for someone to unload all the thoughts I've been gathering out of the afternoon on. I did start for the shore, said Louis. When school came out, I thought of the water purring around the rocks in this offshore wind, and it was too much for me although i should have gone straight home and done some sewing but i couldn't sew on a day like this there's something in the atmosphere that gets into my blood like wine and makes a sort of glory in my soul and my fingers would twitch and i would sew a crooked seam so i said hey ho for the rocks and the offshore wind but i thought i'd give you a call in passing and bring you up the last magazine aunt nan reached out for it greedily is the story finished, Louis?" Yes, and you were right. She didn't forgive him. It spoilt the story for me. I knew she wouldn't, said Aunt Nan triumphantly. That's what made the story seem so real to me all along. That girl was so human. One kind of human, of course. There are other kinds. Now, you'd have forgiven him. Louis smiled introspectively. Yes, I think so. If it had been a matter of principle, I don't suppose I could. But it dealt only with emotions juggled by fate, and I could, yes, I could have forgiven him, if I had loved him as she pretended to. She didn't pretend, said Aunt Nancy quickly. She did love him, but it wasn't her nature to be forgiving poor thing. Don't I know? "'I was just like her forty years ago. "'That's why I understood her so well. "'I knew she wouldn't forgive him. "'I wouldn't have then. "'I couldn't. "'I could and would now, but it's took me sixty years to learn how. "'That's where you have the advantage of me, Louis. "'You begin where I leave off. "'It doesn't seem quite fair, does it? "'It cost me something years ago. "'But it can't all go for nothing. "'Do you know?' aunt nan dropped her knitting and leaned back against the birch with her eyes on the western sky i think that's about the best argument for immortality i know of leaving out the bible of course for it's no use hurling the bible at folks who say they don't believe in it like old luke Bows at the cove i've read somewhere that nothing is ever wasted you understand what i mean i guess you're up in them scientific things i ain't Now, take a woman like me, who starts out in life with a very strong tang of temper and a lot of intolerance and any amount of self-will and power of keeping grudges, not to mention a heap of other faults. Well, she lives seventy or eighty years maybe, and it takes her all that time to learn how to control her temper and be forgiving and tolerant, then she dies. If there ain't any future life, all that knowledge and self control that took so long to gain goes for nothing, is clean wasted, as you might say. Now, that ain't nature's way. There is another life where it will be all made use of. I don't mean to talk you to death, Louis. I'm going to stop now and let you have a chance. I love to hear you, Aunt Nan, assured Louis there is nobody down in the valley like you i'd feel like a little fool if i talked to any of them about the things i discuss with you i know said aunt nan comfortably you and i always did understand each other louis from the very first time that your mother brought you up here to see me you were a mite of a child with such big serious eyes and long nutty brown curls And a habit of saying all of a sudden such queer, deep down sort of things. Your mother was real worried about you. She thought you was odd. But I guess I always understood you. You always felt real comfortable with me, didn't you? And you've been in my heart ever since you held out your face to be kissed out there in the garden and told me you knew you were a very naughty girl, but you never could do wrong in a garden because the flowers were the eyes of angels watching you." Louis laughed. "'I've a bit of the same old feeling still when I walk in a garden. Let us go and see yours, Aunt Nan. Your asters must be out now. Mine got all rusted.' "'You're going to stay here and have tea with me, Louis. Don't say you ain't now.' "'The rocks and the offshore wind,' began Louis, with her twinkle and her dimple. But aunt nan interrupted her the rocks will keep and other winds will blow you must stay Louis. i'm all alone the second mark went to the back lands stumping after dinner took a snack with him and said he'd be too busy to come home to tea so you stay and i'll give you some fruit cake aunt nan had a whimsical way of referring to her only son as the second mark her husband who had died thirty years before was the first Mark. How is Mark now? asked Lewis, as they walked up the slope towards the garden. None too well, though he won't give in that he isn't as perk as usual, man-like. He mopes a bit when he thinks I'm not watching. I'll warrant you he is lying on his back among the ferns more than half the time in them backlands today, instead of stumping. I told him he wasn't fit to do stumping yet a while. But he's the first Mark over again, go he would with a whistle. That grip pulls a body down terrible. But I've got Mark coaxed up to take a little trip next week, and I'm in hopes it'll set him up in good shape again. He's going to Queenslear tomorrow for exhibition week, and longer if he'll listen to me, but he won't. Such a boy for home as he is. And he is such a dear good boy, Lewis. "'I've never had a mite of worry over him since he was born. "'We've just been real chums, he and I, as he says himself. "'Of course, I know it can't go on forever so. "'Mark will marry some day, and then I'll have to share him with his wife. "'But I'll be willing and glad to, for I know Mark won't choose unworthily, "'and whoever he brings to the hill will get a whole-hearted welcome from me.' "'Lewis made no reply, but her face flushed a little.' aunt nan looked at her shrewdly out of the corner of her eye and was not displeased at what she saw the sweet old soul had her own harmless wiles and she had for some time been on the lookout for a chance of indirectly assuring Louis that when mark brought her to the hill farm she would welcome her even more warmly as a daughter-in-law than as friend "'I'd have given a good deal once upon a time for the first mark's mother to have intimated as much to me,' she thought. "'Lewis knows what store I've always set by the second mark, "'and she might feel a bit anxious as to how I'd take his making up to her as he is doing plain as the nose on your face. "'Now she knows, I guess, and everything is real nice and comfortable.' aunt nan's garden had a local fame in Rutherglen. it was on the southern slope a pool of sunshine on fine days and the haunt of mingled fragrance and cool shadows in dull hours hedged in east and west by the apple and cherry orchards and flowers bloomed there from the waking april days to mid-november aunt nan had a way with flowers the Rutherglen people said just at this time her heart was wrapped up in her asters a broad scarf of which ran across the garden from the clumps of tiger lilies at the gate to the old stone bench under the lilac bushes at the further end they justified her pride and Louis bent over them her face alight with rapture this aster bit is a springtime poem that sang itself in your heart last may "'and is now taking outward shape like this,' she said to Aunt Nan. "'You will always say the right thing, Louis. "'That thought was in my mind, but I never could have put it into words so well.' "'After a moment's silence, Aunt Nan burst out again anxiously. "'Louis, are you altogether satisfied with your life here in Rutherglen? "'It's narrow, I suppose, and you are so clever.' It seems to me as if you must feel at times as if you wanted to get away to a wider world where you'd have more chance. Don't you get tired teaching school day after day? Don't you get discontented at times? No, said Lewis thoughtfully. At least not now. Life here isn't narrow, Aunt Nan. We make our own lives, don't you think, wherever we are? they are broad or narrow according to what we put into them not to what we get out life seems to me very rich and full right here in Rutherglen, and i am content aunt nan oh richly content aunt nan smiled happily she knew that Louis had had more restless ambitions once she also thought she knew deep down in her wise old soul what had tranquilized the girl's nature yes she repeated softly more to herself than louis life is rich and full here everywhere if only we learn how to open our hearts to its richness and fullness some shut their hearts against it not knowing and reaching out after things that are far away i used to once but this is one of the things i've learned it's taken me a good while as i've said but some don't ever learn it they roamed about the little sun flooded domain for some time talking of the flowers and of the harmless gossip of the valley in which aunt nan always took an eager interest when tea time came aunt nan went in to get it while louis sat on the broad white stone flanked by hollyhock beds that served as a front doorstep to the big farmhouse and looked with dreamy eyes out over the fir valley and the farmland slopes the wind was blowing less strongly and the afternoon was steeped in colour and languor the air was a thrill with the pipings of myriad crickets glad little pensioners of the summer hills and through all the soft mingled notes and the purring of the winds in the treetops came the insistent murmurous croon of the atlantic where it lapped below the northeastern fields with their fringes of ragged firs how beautiful the world is said the girl half aloud and how beautiful life is it seems like a cup of glory held to my lips but there must be some bitterness in it this can't last forever i wonder when mine will come how soon i shall taste it oh she shivered a little there is sorrow in an afternoon like this perfect as it is it is too perfect we know it can't last it has the pain of finality lois come to tea called aunt nan blithely lewis's passing shadow vanished as she ran lightly in aunt nan had brought out the promised fruit-cake and many other delicacies but the table was spread after their homely fashion in the kitchen a big bright room whose eastern and western windows caught all the sunshine and hill-winds of the summer the window by which the table stood looked out on the birch grove which now in the westering sun was a tremulous splendour with a sea of undergrowth wavered into golden-green billows by the passing zephyr breaths that came and went among the trees while they ate and chattered aunt nan coaxed lois to come and stay with her while the second mark was away and lois finally consented pretending to be bribed thereto by the promise of a whole fruit cake and unlimited cherry preserves won't we have a time though said aunt nan as jubilantly as a girl we'll talk and read and talk and make taffy your being here will give me a good excuse to be as silly and frivolous as i want to be and don't dare to be mostly because an old woman of sixty is expected to be dignified and sensible when you get to be sixty You'll know how it is. A faint shadow passed over the girl's laughing face. Oh, Aunt Nan, she said slowly. It awes me to look forward so far. Think, think, if I lived to be sixty, how much I must have learned and felt and suffered by then. Aunt Nan patted her shoulder. Don't think of that, my dear. Think of how much you'll have enjoyed in one out of the years behind you by then. The time seems very short to me looking back, but at your age it used to oppress me when I thought of it just as it did you this minute. I believe that young folks are often really ever so much more serious and thoughtful than old people, for all it's generally supposed to be the other way. We old folks don't need to think much, We've lived our lives, for good or ill, and we're free. But you young folks, well, I don't wonder that you feel sober by spells. There, I've preached enough. Give the cat the rest of the cream. He looks as if that was the highest good in life to him at present. After tea, Lewis suggested that it was time for her to go home, but Aunt Nan had a plan of her own. It's early yet, she said. "'Would you think it too much trouble to take a walk to the backlands "'and give the second mark a message for me? "'It's real important, and I clean forgot to tell him when he left. "'I want him to bring me some crottle. "'I must dye those mat rags of mine tomorrow, "'and there's not a scrap in the house. "'Of course,' she added diplomatically, "'detecting the hint of reluctance in the girl's eyes. "'If it is too much bother, I can go myself. "'Oh, no!' said lewis quickly i'll go for you of course i will enjoy the walk take the round basket and tell him to bring it full just keep an eye on him and see that he gets it good you needn't hurry them backlands must be lovely today i'd like to have gone myself only i feel a bit tired without the excuse of the errand lewis would not have gone as subtle aunt nan very well knew when she cast about for some pretext and hit upon the crottle she watched the girl out of sight with a smile of satisfaction on her face there i've done them both a good turn and i will dye those rags to-morrow though there isn't any rush just to save my conscience mark needs a bit of help now and then for lois doesn't wear her heart on her sleeve and she's getting shy and distant with him. A very good sign, but he mayn't have gumption enough to know it. How I do love that girl! It's been the wish of my heart for years and years to see her Mark's wife, ever since I knew her. I guess, though I didn't dare to really expect it until late years, there might so many things have happened to prevent it. It seems too good to be true. When you've set your heart on a thing for years, it always does seem kind of impossible that it should really come to pass. See here, Aunt Nan, you've got to break yourself right away of this ridiculous habit of thinking out loud. There's a hired boy coming next week, and if you don't want your secrets published to the four winds of Heaven in Ruthaglin, you must learn to keep them from the birds of the air. That's all. In spite of her touch of embarrassment, Louis was unfeignedly glad that Aunt Nan had sent her to mark. She did not mind owning to herself that she wanted to see him, for she was singularly free from even the harmless self-deception that most girls practise. Moreover, the walk to the backlands was a beautiful one and enjoyable at any time. Even if the one man out of all the world were not waiting at the end of it, Louise knew every step of it. For in old school days, she and Mark had traversed it times out of mind. They had been devoted chums, as they had been proud to boast, with an open, whole-hearted comradeship that found and took all that was best in those glad young days. What a tomboy I was! thought louis with a smile and what good times we did have every nook and cranny of this walk seems filled with the memory of those frolics there was the maple lane first leading from the yard to the pasture lands where they had always found the earliest violets lurking dimly sweet in the sunned corners of the snake fence that ran along under the trees At its further end was the big birch by the gate, where Mark had once cut their names. They were plainly visible, yet although grown unshapely and ragged, and Lewis stopped to touch them caressingly. Mark cut them as high as he could reach, and I had to stand on tiptoe to touch them then, she murmured with a smile. Beyond the lane, a long emerald reach of three fields sloped up to the girdle of woods, all of the same size and shape, and now a luxuriant suite of clover aftermath. Straight through the middle of them ran a road, and down this road, Lewis and Mark had once been wont to run frantic races when they came out of the woods on the crest of the slope who'd get to the big birch first mark would say and then they would hurl themselves down the path lewis with her brown curls streaming in the wind and mark with his fists clenched and his brow knotted into a frown as he ran the honors fell evenly between them for lewis was a good runner and often as not flung herself against the big birch first she thought of those glorious runs as she walked sedatedly up the slope, and remembered that she had won the last race they had ever had together down the three fields. It was just such a day as today, and the sun was shining fan-like in just the same fashion down on the harbour. I remember noticing it as I ran. She put up her hand and felt a tiny scar high on her forehead and concealed by a curl of her chestnut hair when she had reached the birch a good three yards ahead of mark she had tripped over one of its roots and fallen striking her head on a stone a bad cut was the result and she could yet see mark's pale face and lips as he helped her home down the maple lane with the blood running into her eyes and blinding her the cut had not proved serious and had soon healed but Mark could never be persuaded to race her down the three fields again. On the crest of the slope, the path broadened out into a wood road, striking right into the heart of the forest. She and Mark had had their playhouse just inside the gate, in the cool gloom of a thick fir coppice. She turned aside to visit it now, as she always did when she went to the backlands a charm unnameable brooded about the old place for her and she gave herself up to it for a time as she sat on the big white boulder that at once served them as a table it was long since they had outgrown their play place but traces of their occupancy were still plainly visible the little circle of trees had trim scarred trunks where mark had hacked off their lower bows with his hatchet Rotting boards that had served for shelves and seats were scattered around, and here and there the sunlight glinted on a fragment of glass or china which had once adorned Lewis's housewifely cupboard. She stooped and dislodged one from the porous mould of the forest floor and smiled as she recognized one of the rarest treasures of their old bric-a-brac, a bit broken from the edge of one of Aunt Nan's dinner plates. And called the ivy piece because it was adorned with a spray of yellow and red ivy. They had been intensely proud of it and it had shared the place of honor on their parlor shelf with a broken glass bangle from an old vase which possessed the power of refracting wonderful rainbow tints. The fairy glass they had called it, not understanding or knowing anything about prisms. Lois looked around for it but could not find it perhaps the fairies have carried it back to fairyland again she said with a smile they had believed so wholeheartedly in fairies and kobolds and wood elves at first when they set up their housekeeping among the firs Louis had been very frightened of the long dim road that wound away into the eerily whispering woods she would never go far along it preferring to keep to the sunny fields where no wood elves could lurk mark had always assured her that the wood elves were kindly disposed folk and would not harm them but lewis doubted they might be but you couldn't be sure of it she remembered the day she had first conquered her fears and allowed Mark to lead her through the road, with her timid little heart beating to her fingertips in his sturdy clasp. They saw no wood elves, and how glad she had been when they came out into the backlands that seemed like an enchanted world of sunshine and dreams, shut round by the girdling beeches. The return trip had not been half so bad, and Lewis had never been afraid of the forest again. Soon she and mark had explored every cranny of it they had thought it a vast place although it was really only a few acres in extent one day their frolics and make-believes came suddenly to an end a childless aunt of lewis's had come to rutherglen for a visit when she left she took the girl with her to her home in a small college town far enough away to shut her out from the rutherglen life completely she had not even seen mark to say good-bye to him for he had been away from home when she had gone up to the hill farm to tell him the news of her sudden departure she remembered the ache in her heart and the choking in her throat as she went down the hill again to go away without seeing mark had seemed to her like a tragedy It was the first time the world's pain had touched her. In the six years that followed, Mark had been almost forgotten. They had never met, for the only time Lewis had visited Rutherglen, Mark had been away at college. It was not until they were men and women grown that she came home to stay, and she had met her old playmate again. The meeting was a surprise and a disappointment to both. Each had been unconsciously expecting to find the unchanged comrade of years agone. Lewis had looked for a lanky, sunburned lad, and found a stalwart, broad-shouldered six feet of a young manhood. Mark had looked for a demure little maid, and found a gracious young woman who seemed as a stranger to him. It was long before the chill of change wore off, they could laugh at it now having found each other again in a comradeship that added the charm of the past to the rich fulness of the present and the promise of the future but during that first year of her return when lewis was teaching in the valley school and mark was fitting himself back into the farm life after his two years at the Queensley academy there had been between them a strangerhood that was almost resentful lewis knew that mark was working in the triangle between the woods and the newly cleared oat field and she went down that way under the caressing shadows of the beeches to surprise him she saw him before he saw her for he was lying lazily on his back in a little grassy hollow with his hands clasped under his head and his eyes fixed on the sky she permitted herself the treat of looking at him for a space with her heart in her eyes and her breath half gone from her in the sweetness of the moment then her expression changed to mischief and she threw at him the fir cone that lay ready to her hand in an angle of the fence her aim was good and the missile struck him squarely on the forehead he was on his feet in an instant looking about him when he caught sight of her his face lightened and he came quickly over the hillocks and hollows of fern that lay between them lewis hastened to lift her basket and explain her errand aunt nan wants crottles sir and she wants it good you'll please to remember she sent me to tell you so you the poor hard-working boy who was too busy to come home to tea Mark laughed and tossed his tumbled black hair from his forehead. Really, I haven't been idle all the afternoon, Lewis, but a man wasn't meant to work on a day like this. It harks back to Eden, to the untroubled days before the fall. So I coiled myself up among the ferns to daydream a bit. You don't feel very well yet, I'm afraid, said Lewis anxiously mark smiled in a tolerant fashion that's mother's story how you women do like to coddle folks grip pulls a fellow down a bit i suppose but i'm all right look at this muscle and this no invalid's arm that madam has mother been telling you that she's badgered me into going to Queenslea for a week i don't want to go don't need to go but these mothers must be humoured i'm glad you came back for the crottle it just needed you to round out the day his pleasure in her coming was frank and open possibly a little too frank and open louis with her steady gift of seeing things as they are recognised this she knew quite well that as yet marks feeling for her did not possess the depth and intensity of hers for him, but she hoped that in time it would, and she calmly acknowledged this hope to herself, with no false shame over it. For the rest, she hid her love from all eyes but her own, and waited in her womanly armour for the man she loved to find it out when his own led him to seek it mark clove the fibers of a tough old beech stump with his axe and left it there while he took the basket and set off in search of the lichens aunt nan required by the time they found enough of them the sun was setting and all the woods were brimmed with fleeting ruby splendor they had come in their wanderings to the fairies pool as they had named it in the good old days when a belief in fairies was a vital article in their creed it was a mysterious saucer of water rimmed around with ferns and shadowed with slender young birches it was fed by no visible spring and yet never dried up do you remember the time we discovered this asked mark talk about ocean surprise wonder delight silent upon a peak in darien i shall never forget your eyes louis when we pushed through that birch coppice there and came so suddenly upon it i felt all the rapture of a great discoverer said louis bending down to dabble her fingers in the unruffled water do you remember the day we quarrelled and you pushed me right into the pool and then fished you out in agonies of remorse how wet you were louis and how angry so angry that you would not speak to me although you had to let me help you up on the fence out there in the sun to dry oh i shall never forget it cried louis with a ringing peal of laughter i can see myself a forlorn dripping mite on that great high fence trying to be dignified and feeling so furious and drabbled and you sprawled out in the grass below me looking up imploringly and trying your best to appease me you even offered to loan me your jack-knife for a whole day if i would speak and you wouldn't and when you did get a little dry you wouldn't let me help you down but slid off yourself and stalked home with that brown head of yours in the air myself following behind like a whipped dog and i wouldn't stop at your place although aunt nan came out to us with slices of bread and plum jam but i went straight home to the valley where i cried and would not be comforted because i hadn't forgiven you your face as you stood peering after me from the fur lane when i had forbidden you to follow me any further haunted me tragically all night and the next morning i was down in the valley before you were up waiting for you at your gate with a jack-knife and a brand-new, nicely-peeled willow switch, and a blown crow's egg you had always coveted, and when you came out, you poked all your treasures over the gate, and the eggshell fell down and was broken, and I said, there now, clumsy, and heaven opened before me and I kissed you through the bars of the gate, didn't I? There was a teasing twinkle in Mark's dark blue eyes. Lewis flushed rosily and turned from the pool. "'We were delightful little idiots, Mark. Come, it is time to be going back. It will soon be dark.' They wandered homeward through the lanes, swinging the basket between them. At the kitchen door they found Aunt Nan, straining her eyes in the fading light over the last pages of the magazine story. Her cheeks were flushed with the excitement of it. She wanted Lewis to come in, but the latter refused. "'She must go home,' she said, and Mark insisted on going with her, although she protested. "'I'm too big to be turned back at the furlane now,' he said masterfully. "'Come along, Louis. No airs.' He tucked her hand in his arm and marched her off, Aunt Nan looking after them, with an inward delight that almost seemed to irradiate her physically in the gloom they walked slowly to make the most of the beautiful evening at the gate of the wilbur homestead in the valley they lingered to watch the moon rise over the shore meadows mrs wilbur a vulgar good-natured soul so unlike lewis as to make the relationship between them seem like a huge joke on nature's part watched them from the sitting-room window turning up a corner of the white blind with a stealthy hand In her own way, she was as anxious for the match as Aunt Nan herself, and also took her own ways of furthering it, ways that sometimes seemed in a fair way to defeat their object for Lewis. Burning with stifled shame over her mother's effusiveness, always retreated further into herself on such occasions, and opposed to Mark's frank advances, a seemingly impossible wall of reserve and aloofness something of this had at last filtered into mrs wilbur's obtuse brain and she forbore to go to the door and call louis to bring mark in as she would have dearly liked to do the two at the gate were not talking in any lover like fashion as she supposed and hoped in truth they were talking but little in any fashion each being content to linger speechless in the glamour of the night once, a girl went loiteringly by, half pausing at the gate, as if ready to join them with any encouragement thereto. Mark quickly interposed himself between her and Louis, giving her only the briefest of greetings, and after a moment's hesitation, the girl tossed her head and walked on. Lewis looked after her pityingly even, while she glowed with her pleasure in his care of herself she knew why he did not wish her to talk with alicia craig his standard of womanly purity was so high that even a shadow on a girl's fair fame bared her in his estimation from his womankind sometimes louis thought mark almost too severe in his opinions and the unflinching way he carried them out don't you think you are a little hard on alicia mark she asked gently no he said bluntly she's got herself talked about and i won't have her talking to you Louis. perhaps i am hard but i can't help it i don't want you even to speak to any woman whose whole life isn't as clear as day she is a blot on womanhood mother has grained that into me from babyhood there's nothing on earth i reverence more than a good woman nothing i despise more than a bad one after a brief silence, Louis said she must go in and passed through the gate. Across it, she held her hand to Mark. Good night, Mark. I hope you'll have a pleasant visit in Queenslea. I'm glad you're going to stay with the mother while I'm away, he said, taking her hand. You'll be such company for her, and the dear woman will be delighted to have somebody to discuss all her deep thoughts with she's often lonesome i think lewis lay awake late that night thinking of many things and tasting her happiness mark too kept his vigil on the hill thinking of lewis her strong sweet womanliness and her satisfying comradeship he wondered if she cared for him he thought not being man blind but he resolved that he would make her care in time he fell asleep at last with the thought of her hovering over him like a benediction. In the morning he went to Queenslea. End of section 26